Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Oh, we're getting all creative, getting all fancy. Quarantine edition of the Let's Go Ricky Rowe podcast. I'm Bethel Durant alongside Ricky Romero. Ricky, normally we're in one of your like homes all over the world. This time we are separated and we got video. We figured out how to do this thanks to uh, Pro Angle Probably, Productions. Right? It's about it's time a trip, we figured right? it out, man. I know people have been wondering where we've been, but... Obviously, you, you've been the, the mastermind behind all this and trying to get it all together. You even built a little studio <laughs> in your garage. Um, but, yeah, man, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad we, we're, we're finally get to do this. And, obviously, it's under these little bit of different circumstances. But I think we're making it work. And, uh, hopefully, our listeners out there are really satisfied with today's guest, which should be a, a pretty fun fun time with this guy. Yeah, and we are bringing in uh, a good friend of yours, former teammate of you with the Toronto Blue Jays, JP Arancibia. He's a TV star now in Miami with the TV scruff. How are you feeling, JP? I'm good, actually. I'm a little tired today because I, I had a nice little workout outside in, in Miami. It's in the mid-80s and humid. so. Um, but I'm good. I'm good. Just uh, trying to stay busy, trying to have positive thoughts every day because it's easy to be missing what I was supposed to be doing for a living, which is being on TV for Marlins games. And uh, unfortunately, no sports going on. So hopefully this can all happen and, and get done quick. But, uh, you know, obviously thanks to everybody out there that's putting their life on the line because this is no joke. All right. So where is home for you right now? Home for me right now is Miami, Florida, or it would I guess on my license, it would say Coral Gables. But uh, I am in my little makeshift makeshift office here uh, that I have, and behind me you can probably see I got like my bike cruiser right here. This, here's the handles. I got a little bit of a cruiser going on, um, okay. which I bought when all this stuff went down, so I can go and hit the streets, uh, ride around some bike. But I'm just I'm just chilling at home, man. It's, I got a hammock too outside. I got a hammock. So. <laughs> And this is the first time we're doing an actual podcast via video. So if you're watching us on the Ricky Rowe YouTube page or the Dream page, wherever you're at, interact with us. And we're going live. We're going to try to do this every Tuesday. 
So the guys back at the production studios are going to figure it's like, wait a minute, Tuesdays we're doing this. Because Ricky Tuesdays are the days where you get a break from Sebastian and little Diego for a little bit, right? Yeah, I get a little bit of a break from them. Um, like I said, they'll probably I'm in the man cave and the, the door doesn't have a, a lock, so it's turned into a toy <laughs> room as well. So we'll probably have them jump in here in a little bit. I, I could already already uh, feel it and, and sense that they're going to be jumping in and coming screaming here in a little bit. Yeah, and then uh, we are live on YouTube right now. I know you tweeted it both. Uh, so if you guys want to see something, leave comments. We will check those out uh, while you're at it. All right, here it is. Just we got pictures to, of everything. To, to let everyone know, though, Beto, this, this, if they don't catch it live, it'll be on the podcast edition, too, and they can yeah. listen to it on their car. I mean, not that every, anyone's really driving a long way right now, but if you're at the gym or whatever, you want to listen to it, it'll be on our on the Let's Go Ricky Roll iTunes page. Yeah, it's on iTunes, Spotify. See, we're going big time, JP. We're, we are figuring things out. I know you're a man. Wait, how many podcasts do you have, JP? None anymore. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've uh, retired all my podcasts. This is my only podcast I have going on. Uh, I had a this year was supposed to be like over eighty games on on TV and radio and different uh, opportunities. I was going to get in the booth, so I was focusing my my talents on on that. And uh, but. That was it. That's pretty much no podcast for me, just TV. All right. And then now let's get to it, Ricky. You were drafted in 2005 by the Blue Jays out of Fullerton. JP, you were at Tennessee, right? When did you get drafted? 2007. So right after that. When did you two meet? Uh, Fall League. Or he was getting ready for the Fall League, and I was getting ready for, for – uh, instruct so he was getting ready to go out there uh, to do the prospect league and when you're I had just signed and that was when we first started really hanging out was that instructs right Ricky because you were getting ready to go to the to spring train or to the fall league and I was just yeah. having to yeah, do it was, it was instruct stuff so I was so I, w I got drafted in 05 Travis Snyder was in 06 uh Travis and JP were really close um JP was in 07 and then I was close to Travis, and then we kind of met through through him. And then the three of us just kind of started hanging out, and we built this bond. And and I, obviously the three of us got to play in the big leagues together, so that was pretty cool. Just it's it's something different when you come up with certain guys and you you get through the different levels, and then you you reach the the pinnacle of it, and then you're you're sitting there with some of your best friends that you came up with in the minors and you know, watch, they watch the growth. We each other saw the growth of each other. And then you get up to the big leagues and now you're playing in the biggest stage. And then JP, so you're younger than Ricky. So when you first saw him, you're thinking, that's that first rounder right there. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually remember from the College World Series, other little weak mustache that he used to have <laughs> on, his, uh, on his face. Uh, but I remember, I remember that, but I mean, you, obviously you're a fan of baseball, right? And you, you, you follow, you follow the college world series, you follow the draft. And then, so I, I, I knew Ricky through that and then get drafted by the Blue Jays. And obviously then you kind of look into the system and you, you learn a little bit more, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, me and, and Snyder and Ricky were kind of like, 
boys at first sight. I don't know how, I don't know how you would be able to, to say that, but we were just like right away homies. Like we were super cool, hung out, go to dinner. And we used to laugh at Snyder a lot because he was ordering two entrees and we were just ordering one, but like, it, it just was like a, a easy flow of friends. And you just, you just kind of saw early on from JP, it was the, the confidence that he had in himself, you know, and he was just so, there was something about him that he just, the way he carried different than a lot of guys, you know, it probably guys the wrong way, but I know when I first saw him, it was like, right, this guy, he cares, you know, he's a leader. He wants to be behind in the, yeah, I think we're going to have to reconnect with Ricky right now. Uh, you know, when you live where he lives with all the rich people and all the celebrities, you know, the, the, the wires are a little different over there. So, but, but JP, you're the Miami kid, right? El Cubano who came through. So, I mean, you had some swag to you too, right? You had a little moxie. Yeah, I think I think it was funny is, is a lot of guys just say, like, oh, this guy's from Miami. You could tell, like, oh, you must be from Miami. Oh, you must be from Miami. And I never kind of really understood that until I didn't I, – I kind of backed away from living in Miami and <laughs> looking at it. And then when I would see guys on teams, I was like, I don't know if that's a good thing uh, that they say that um, I must be from Miami. So, like Ricky said, I was confident, but I don't – I didn't even realize how I kind of – how I kind of – walked around and, and did things. I was just so happy. I'm, I'm a guy who sometimes it comes across to, I remember in spring training, I used to be worried because my first spring training, I was in big league camp and, and Roy holiday, uh, like told somebody that I say hi to too many people when I got there. Cause I was like, <laughs> I loved it. I just like said, what's up to everybody? Like, Hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? And, and I don't know if it came across as like cocky, who's this young guy. But for me, it was more, I legitimately was just happy to be at the field and I just loved the opportunity to do what I was doing. So I, I, it could have come across as overconfident, but it was definitely something that it was just me being somebody who, who wanted to talk to people. Ricky, you remember that JP saying hi to everybody? Oh yeah. To everyone, <laughs> everyone. He's always been a talker everywhere we go. It doesn't matter if we're at a restaurant, at a sporting event, everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. He, he, he's the mayor. The, he's saying, the mayor. The saying is, I've never met a stranger. Is kind of that. That's what I've been told. Is that I've never met a stranger, which is a good thing. Uh, sometimes it's a bad thing because I, I talk to too many people and it gets me in trouble. <laughs> and uh, Ricky knows exactly what I'm talking about. So I kind of set myself up for way too many issues. But uh, oh, oh, do, do tell, like do tell. What issues? Oh, man, I just, you know, I, I like the waitresses and I enjoy talking to different <laughs> ladies and different females. And they kind of just would throw me, I kind of would shoot myself in the foot because I kind of made too many friends. And so. Wait a minute, is. Ricky, you uh, and JP used to go to breakfast every single morning, the day, the morning of your starts, right? So you're trying yeah. to get into the zone, relax, this is that, you know, figure things out. And then your catcher is over there hitting on every waitress. Hey man, I Not let morning. him do his thing because I, I know when uh, seven o'clock hit on the dot, he was ready to go. It didn't matter; <laughs> like he was ready to go. He was ready to go, and oh, yeah. he was all in. And I mean, and like I said, he he took his time. Like he was there at the ballpark early. He was watching video with you. 
Um, you know, he took a lot of pride in all that stuff. And he could be the, the you know, there's a lot of guys that you run into in throughout baseball who, who if they're over, they just, they shut it down. They don't care about anything else. And if JP was 0 for 2, 0 for 3, 0 for 4, when he got behind that plate, it was business time. And it was like, what can I do to my pitcher so that my pitcher gets so that I get him through seven, eight, nine innings, whatever it is. And if it's a battle, I'm going to help him get there, you know. And like like I said, it was there was always that constant communication, obviously, before you can run out to the mound and make sure you were on the same page and do all that kind of stuff. He was always into that kind of stuff. And in between innings, he'd come in, hey, what did you see there? Why did you shake me off? So you could just see that that bond he had with not just me, but just the whole pitching staff. And I think everyone always respected that about him. It was just one of those things where he was so into the game and he wanted to win. We all wanted to win. I mean, at that level, everyone wants to win. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure I, I can speak for him. It was tough for us to watch, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays in the playoffs because we – dream of those moments throughout our whole career there and, and it, you know like myself him Travis and and you almost felt like you were a little bit of a part of it but obviously you weren't there and 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 I just remember uh you know I think we texted and it was like man this is this is tough because we were so engaged with that city we loved it so much and we still do because we go back and do a lot of events but we were just we wanted it so bad because we knew what it would mean to the city. We, we, we got to experience it during opening day, you know, packed stadium. And you're like, what if this could be in September? Yeah. We used to dream about that, man. That was something that we were, we were always tired about. We always used to try to say, Hey man, imagine what the city, cause you, you're around the electricity of the city and you go out, you have drinks and you kind of all these fans, like, you know, hey, we're Blue Jay fans, and so you you felt the electricity, and that was when we weren't even winning, and so you you start to think like, man, we can we can if this thing if we win, this is gonna be sick. Like, let's get after it, and you know, we did. That that, that was tough to watch, but I was kind of fired up, you know, for them obviously because Bautista and a lot of those guys, it was kind of tough. But for me, honestly, I think being a catcher saved my career uh, to play even longer than I than I did uh, that I did. Or to play longer because I had that out. I had that out to be able to have offense, and if I stunk, didn't matter because my saving grace was I I had a pitcher that I can work with that day, and then the following pitcher and the following pitcher. So it, that was like more than anything. My pride was like, man, I can stink at home plate, but I still have an opportunity to go out there and on a three-two pitch call a backdoor slider or call a changeup or call whatever it may be to strike that hitter out to get out of the inning. And to me, that was, that was, I felt a sense of accomplishment uh, with the pitcher because we had set him up properly or we had maybe, you know, we, we, I read a swing, right. And now went to some pitch or even they, I got shook off and that was, a, and, and they made the pitch and got out of the inning, but that was my job. My job was a catcher. And honestly, it saved me from probably playing shorter, having a shorter career because it, it allowed me to have a mental break when I was already a mental midget. That was something that I could go and really um, kind of handle. But but the good news is is he didn't tell you that I did. I went to drunk uh, to breakfast drunk with him one time, so I didn't talk. Uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't talk I didn't I didn't talk a lot in breakfast. We kind of hung out and he would talk about different things. I think with breakfast we were kind of chill, but 
Yeah, I showed up one time drunk for breakfast, and I thought that he was going to kill me. Really? In New York, right? Mm-hmm. Yankee New Stadium. York? He goes out and hits two home runs? Yeah. You you threw – I remember – never forget. I got completely slammed the night before. And I remember getting a call in the morning. And he's like, hey, uh, you, you ready? We'll meet down in, you know, five, ten minutes. That's how we used to kind of always go. I'd wait for him to let me know, and we would go on, on whenever he woke up. And I was like, oh, crap. I'm still smashed right now. And so I put clothes on, and I tried to, I tried to play it off. And I'm, I want to say it was in the cab ride. Like, I was screaming stuff out of the cab ride. Have you seen my, my license? Because I had left my license and my credit card at the establishment that I was at. And Ricky's like, are you drunk? And I was like, uh, you no, know, I'm And I remember him asking me in the cab ride, like, are you drunk? I was like, uh, I, this guy's going to kill me. But thank, thank goodness he pitched a heck of a game. And then I, I hit, I hit well that day. So then we were, we were all good. Wait, so you showed up drunk to breakfast and shook it off and Ricky dealt that night. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was drunk. I, I swear to you that day, I, I think that I was drunk even during VP. I had drank so much the night before I was drunk. And I remember like praying legit going, please, God, let me sober up because I have to catch the toughest guy that I have to catch, who is also my best friend on the team. Please sober up so that I can just make it through. <laughs> and I felt like absolute crap. But I remember ha- like saying that prayer and seven o'clock, the cobwebs were gone. I was ready to rock, caught a good game. He threw the ball well, and, and then I went deep twice, and I was like, oh, this is good, which is – I remember, which, I remember I was, you, you took your, uh, your your friend deep. I think Freddie Garcia, right, was on the mound? Yeah, Freddie, Gar- yeah, yeah, Freddie Garcia took him deep. Uh, <laughs> so that was that game, but that was – it was – I was so scared when he called me that morning and I had to meet him in the cab because we would take a cab together, and I was like, gosh, I'm, he's, I'm hammered. Like he's, there's no way you don't know that I'm hammered right now. But Ricky, did you know he was still like hurting when he was catching? Like he was still buzzed? Nah, nah. I figured by seven o'clock, it should have already worn down. Like I wasn't worried one bit. <laughs> no, it was no. By game time, I was ready to rock. Cobwebs yeah. were gone. Okay. But, right. but during batting practice, I was still cobwebs were still very much cobwebs. I mean, let's just say he's not the first big leaguer. He won't be the last. You know, plenty yeah, of guys. Of <laughs> you hear it around oh, everywhere. Yeah. Like it's just. You know, some guys, especially position players, you know, if they go over sometimes, if pitcher has a rough outing, maybe you're like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, have some fun tonight and kind of do that, you know? Yeah, got it. You got to shake that out. But, okay, have you guys ever played a game where you knew that the guy on the field with you was still hurting? Like, say, a day game after a night game, where you just know you could, it's out of their pores. I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm sure there's yeah, there's guys that would go out and like get after. I'm not gonna but... I'm not gonna say a name, but I remember a guy yeah. that told me that he he pitched against us and he was nasty. It was a Sunday day game, and and I asked him about that game and I was like, man, you were nasty. And the the first thing he said, he's like, dude, I was out the whole night the night before. And I was like, <laughs> as a starter, he's like, oh yeah, he's like, I was out the night before. And it was a day game. So, and he just absolutely shoved it up. 
hard but that's, teams. And that, was what, and, that was what stunk about Toronto, though, too, though, is because Toronto was Saturday and Sunday. You had day games. So Friday night, I remember we used to be walking home from the stadium, and it was like, all right, there's a line of people waiting to go in this bar, line of people waiting. I mean, and it was smoke shows. Like, once the weather warmed up, you're like, whoo. It was unbelievable. And so it's tempting, man. That city could get you. And this, But we would have Saturday day games, Sunday day games, so it was tough. Like, the two prime nights to kind of hit the town, you really couldn't. Some guys, some guys, I know that there were some guys that did and would come in. And I, I don't know, Ricky, I feel like for me, I used to – it was always the guys that were either in the sauna – the cold tub or the hot tub? Like you knew, I mean, there was guys that did it regularly, but then there was guys that would come in and they would, they would be like trying to sweat it out real quick so they can, so they can get ready to play. So, so JP, I mean, we, 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 it's been a while since we had a guest like this. Obviously this is different circumstances, but I mean, if you can go back and tell us a little bit about the story about where it started and how it began for you. And obviously everyone knows you grew up in Miami, but, you know, growing up, you know, did you play other sports where you, you know, did you, did you know, at what age did you know you were going to be, you know, this was going to be your future or, or, and, and so on and so forth. Like what, what kind of motivated you to, to become a baseball player and, and play the toughest position probably on the whole field, which is a catcher. Like what, what take us a little bit through that journey of you. Going up. So what's, so what's funny is for me, I grew up playing shortstop my entire like childhood. Uh, I played baseball, I played basketball, I played football, and I was athletic. But shortstop, I loved shortstop. That was my thing. Cuban background. I feel like that was. I have pictures of me as a baby, just with with a bat and a ball. That was just part of the Cuban culture. So. I grew up playing baseball and I remember actually I was a kid that they lied about my age so that I could play earlier. So actually oh. were some I thought you were saying cuz they made you younger. Guys. No, no, no. So I was 3 <laughs> years old and they my parents forged stuff so I could play T-ball. So I can and so oh. what is funny is as I was playing uh, like kids and parents would be like why are you still in T-ball? And I was like, well, truth is is i shouldn't have been playing t-ball yet uh i was a little so i remember it was funny because some of the guys that i played with in t-ball were always like two or one level ahead of me so that's kind of how i started and that's it got to the point where i remember one coach i was playing and i would say i was probably in middle school and there was a coach that said listen man you're slow you're not going to play shortstop because you're not fast and he's like so you have to figure out something else. You will position another another position you want to play because he's like, it's not going to help you at shortstop. And so he told me, hey, the way, they always say the quickest way to the big leagues is a catcher. Is you can hit, you have a good arm. So like, all right, cool. If that's the case. Then let me catch. And so I started catching and I loved it because you're in every play. So now already a kid that's a little bit of a squirrel brain, like – that was huge to me. So I started catching, loved it. I was, again, I was still playing basketball and football during this time. And, and I continued to play basketball, baseball, and football all the way through my senior year in high school, which I think is a detriment wow. to a lot of people who, who don't, who don't play other sports because I had scouts calling me in high school, telling me like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Cause I was playing football my senior year. And I just always thought, man, I don't want to live my life regretting that I didn't 
play a sport when really high school is the only chance that you can do it. I knew that I could play baseball in college. Obviously, I had signed to Tennessee as a junior or committed there. So I knew I could play in college, but I wasn't going to be able to play football in college, although they, they had said we think you can. I didn't think so. And in basketball, there's not any 6-1 power forwards in the NBA that are Cuban, so I sure as heck ain't playing in the NBA. So I was a linebacker, and I was I was all county here in Dade County. So I mean, we Sean Taylor was in our same division. We had some some real good football players that were that were in our division. Obviously, Dade County was good football, but some guys that went to UM. My quarterback went to the UM, uh, University of Miami, or one of our running backs went to the University of Miami. We had a lot of guys that played football, and so it was fun. But I. I mean, I really knew that baseball was it. And then around 16 is when I kind of really started realizing uh, I was doing catching lessons with this guy who was a scout too. And he was starting to talking to me about the draft. And that's when I was like, man, I think I can, I can, I can um, have an opportunity to play pro ball, like at some point. And so uh, actually he ended up drafting me in, in high school and we got into negotiations and that was, that was the year it might have been you remember when Tuyas Asopo signed the high school kid? Yeah, uh, yeah. he was a going he was a quarterback and he was gonna go Washington. So the, the the Mariners didn't have a first or a second round pick. So they drafted Tuyas Asopo in the third round and they got him out of that that college football uh scholarship because they gave him like over two million dollars in the third round. And then the Mariners called me and said, Listen, we're not gonna pay you what you want because we're we're gonna give this guy the money. And so that's what made me go to college. It was yeah, actually it was Mark, um, not, not the, the quarterback at Washington. I think it was his brother, Beto. Yeah, younger brother. Yeah, but he's yeah, from the he, Washington he area. Marcus is Marcus to Sopo, former Raider quarterback, his younger brother. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was but we're not going to talk about the Raiders. Football, <laughs> yeah, no Raider talk with Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> now, if, if let's say, obviously, you say your career at uh, you in high school was a pretty decent football player to you know especially in Miami where there's a lot of big time players if University of Tennessee would offer you a, a chance to walk on the team would you have done it football yeah oh so here's so there's actually they they had talked to me about so when I was when out my college football or my high school football coach was like listen I think you can go, you can play two sports. And I was like, dude, how many linebackers in the NFL are fat are, are slow? No, <laughs> I'm slow. Like, and so he's like, listen, don't, don't discount it. Just take your visit and see what you think. And I'm like, okay. And so I, when I went on my visit to Tennessee, I thought about it. I was like, all right, let me see. We'll see what could I possibly do it. And I walked on the field. And I asked somebody, I was like, hey, what position is that dude? And they're like, that's a defensive back. And I'm like, this guy is twice my size. So if the defensive <laughs> back is twice my size, and that big old dude that you see there that's 6'5 and 360 pounds as an offensive lineman that I would have to go like this to to make a tackle, I was like, listen, dude, I'll swing at sliders in the dirt and try to throw out guys at second base. I want no part of college football. No chance. This is ridiculous. This, these guys are way too big, way too fast. And so that was that made it really easy because my my football coach was like, oh, we, I think you can do it. I was like, well, it ain't never happening because I'm going to get killed. Did, and you uh, played baseball did, uh, at Tennessee. 
and you get uh, drafted what year, what round? Uh, when I played at Tennessee? Yeah. Yeah, I got drafted um, on this round called first. <laughs> I just, see, the thing is, I knew you were going to say that because when I met you a few years ago, Ricky had told me, hey, my boy JP, he's, he, uh, he's retired. He's, that's when you started coming to the boxing gym. And I knew because you had said that before. I, I heard that in an interview one time that you did that. So I asked you that in front of some of the boxers. I was like, hey, JP, I think it was Emilio uh, Sanchez. JP, what round did you get drafted in? And you did the uh, first. Like I just love setting you up on that because the way you delivered it is so good. I mean, I, I always try I, – I always laugh. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, it's, a, it's an accomplishment. And to even think that I was a first-round pick is like – that's insane. What pick, but I, I forget, what pick were you, JP? Uh, quite a few behind you, Ricky. Twenty-one. Twenty-one. And 21. who was the first pick in the draft that year? Was it David Price? That is correct, Mr. Yeah. David Price. I mean, hey, yeah. Beto, his his USA team was the next year after I played in it. I mean, talk a little bit about that experience and 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 playing for Team USA, and then the players that were on that team. I mean, we had we had some nasty players. So I played my freshman and my sophomore year. My freshman year, we had some really good players. I mean, uh, really good players. But my sophomore year, we had our starting rotation was Jake Arrieta, David Price, Tommy Hunter. Um, I'm trying to think. Sean Doolittle was, would pitch for us. Our third baseman, our third baseman was Pedro Alvarez. Our shortstop was Zach Cozart. Our second baseman was Darwin Barney. Our first baseman was also Sean Doolittle because he was a two-way player. Well, was he really? Our left wow. fielder, oh, yeah. Sean Doolittle was an ACC player of the year because he was a closer and a hitter. He, he made it to AAA as a hitter, and the only reason why he stopped hitting is because he hurt his wrist, and then he started throwing 97 again. So, and then, so that's wow, how that's Doolittle. Then, then in left field, uh, we had Todd Frazier because he, at the time, he was an infielder, but Pedro Alvarez was playing uh, third base, so he went. He was in the outfield. I'm trying to think who else that we had on that team. I mean, our, the U.S. We won the gold medal and we won that game like seventeen to six. Like your your team was pretty sick though, as far as anybody. If you look at these college national teams and you start looking at the rosters. 90% of them play in the big leagues. That was a team that Team USA, you guys went to Japan? Yes, I went to Japan with that team. Uh, and Ricky, that, you did the same was, thing the year before? The, my first year. My first year, I went to Taiwan, Japan. The second year, I went, we went to Cuba. <clears throat> That's why it's uh, Ricky and I've had this uh, conversation too before. Like, you can do whatever you want, but there's something like Ricky grew up in East LA. You grew up in Miami, and you guys were, you know, big time college players. But when you, you just mentioned all the names on those teams, JP, and same thing with Ricky, when you look around, you're like, this is like the best of the best in our age. When you put on that USA uniform, though, Rick, start with you, it's something special, right? Oh, it's, I mean, it's crazy. I never thought it'd happen to me. You know, I didn't, I, we were in the college World series, we had just one, and then I didn't even, I didn't get a chance to try out, so I automatically made the team. And uh, I met with the team in, I don't know, one of the Carolinas, south or north. I'm not sure which one. And, 
yeah, when you put on that jersey, it was it was really cool. But we took a trip to Japan and we got our 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 butts kicked over there for some exhibition games, and then uh, we had to come back to the U.S. play a few more exhibition games, and then we be- went back to or we went to Taiwan for the big tournament, and it ended up. Yeah. I was trying to I'm trying to find you guys a, a picture here that I just had I just had a but I don't know where the heck. Is. My uh, grandfather had just passed, and I had some pictures. I'll be back in here. I had a picture. Go ahead, go ahead JP. You do what you got to do, bro. We're, we're live. This huh? is the best part about trying this for the first time. And thanks to the guys at the Pro Angle Studios, John McKelvey, uh, PETA, making sure we get all the proper angles and doing everything else you guys want to do. Uh, and it's pretty cool. As you can see the setup. So, JP, we let me know when you find the stuff. Okay, see the Blue Jay shirt behind me? No, I, re- That's free. I can't. I can't hold, on. hold on. You guys right. keep on. Well, don't worry. Let me do commercials I, I right feel, now. I feel like I had to move, too, because I feel like my internet was a little bit slow. So we're hey, going to a different we're, room. To we're doing it live, baby. We're doing it live. Man. Let's go, Ricky, the podcast. Live, as we you can continue. have live conversations, and people – I'm trying to I'm trying to give the people what they want, but I don't know where my picture is. Son of a gun. Uh, <laughs> don't worry well, about it. The reason why uh, I, was trying to, I, was trying to, I was trying to show you was because – I'm back here – is because, truth be told – can you see me? Yeah, I see you, Jamie. Truth, truth be told, um, I wanted to be a race car driver. I didn't want to play sports. I didn't want to play baseball. I didn't want to play basketball and football like I did, but I wanted to be a race car driver. I actually have a picture, and that's why I wanted to – I used to race go, uh, like go-karts, so they're called karts, K-A-R-T-S, uh-huh. like karting, and it's how all the IndyCar pretty much and NASCAR guys. So I wanted to kind of show you that because I've never really talked about that, but that was something – you know, my grandfather, he had just passed away and he had pictures and I had been wait. I've been, it's, it must be in my car or somewhere where I kept, where I put it yesterday, but it's me and like the race suit and the helmet. Cause that's actually what I wanted to do. Oh, we got to figure about that sports out. Growing gotta... up, I did race carts. I did race go-karts when I was a kid growing up too. But I mean, driving around Miami, is just hard enough right there. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause LA, cause LA is easier. L.A. I just love the way hey. you say L.A. like a typical Cubano. L.A. <laughs> hey, listen. But hey, but to your question, Phil. To your question, <clears throat> and, Team and USA. Ricky too Team about, USA. about the Team USA. To me, too, it, it was a huge thing because think about it, right? I had I, not think about it, but I had already gotten uh, denied from one USA team. So when I was in high school, I got the to the USA trials in Joplin, Missouri, and I tried out didn't make the USA team. And I was like, I mean, it's kind of a shot to the heart, right? Like you think they're good. You, you put yourself on a national level and then you're not one of the catchers that they pick. So it kind of stunk. So then my freshman year, I had always had signed to the Cape Cod league. And when USA team came calling, I was like, this is sick because I've always wanted to play in the USA team because that's kind of like the benchmark in the sense of if you can make the USA team, like I said, you're a big leaguer in a sense. And so when I got to make that team and I made that team, it was unbelievable. And for me, you know, then you start to think, right? Like my parents are born in Cuba and I was born in the United States. And so to have the opportunity to now, you know, been have raised, having, having been raised in the US and knowing like how my parents left and how they got to the U S how cool it was for me to actually put that uniform on. That was, that was 
unbelievable. And then you think about the people that are out there. Like I thought about like that people that were serving our country, like all these different things. And you go, man, I get to represent like our country. This is, this is bigger than any team I've ever played on. This is a, this is our, we get off the bus and we're the USA team. And I thought, and Ricky, I'm sure you, you felt different, man. When you go to these different oh, yeah. places, you get off the bus well, and you're like, dang, dude. Yeah. I'm a For me, it was like, it's almost like when you're in the big leagues, you're just looking around and you're like, wow, these are the top players in the whole country. And I'm one of them. That's where I was like, all right, but I belong here at the same time. I was like, I belong here because I put in the work and, and I've done everything that I had to do. And that's why it felt special. And when you're, you know, for me, it was myself, Mike Pelfrey, Luke Hochaber, Joey Devine. I mean, you name it. It was a lot of top arms in the country that year. And, uh, and, and it was just, there was something surreal about it. And you're expected to go and, and, and win. But like I said, in that exhibition game in Japan, we played four. And I think we got absolutely destroyed every game <laughs> so we didn't think we, we we weren't as good as we thought we were we just it kind of it was a little bit of an eye-opener because it just told you that the world you know baseball in Japan was the real deal and and I think we went in really confident we obviously got to face that same Japanese team in Taiwan in the real tournament and we ended up beating them but it was some some fun close games against Taiwan against Korea yeah, uh, it was just it was it was really really cool. And JP, when you go and you figure this out, and you mentioned that you're the son of immigrants, same thing with Ricky. Like, do your parents kind of understand what you went through, like the experience that you have? Because you can tell them, but I mean, it's I'm trying to like your parents are probably like, yeah, we're proud of our son because he's playing, but do they understand the grasp of what it really was for you guys? Not for me. I don't think so. I don't think like my mom has any other than watching me play baseball and knowing that I made the team. I, I don't think she understood the gravity of it. But like Ricky said, that's when I really first thought I made it. Like when you when I put on that, I was a USA baseball player, like the collegiate national team. And that was I made that team. That's when I was like, I can make a big league. Like I, I, well, I made it like that was that was my sense. But but my mom wouldn't have understood that. But yes, for sure. I. I did. And I mean, we'll get into it a little bit as we go along, but you also got to represent Team USA in the grandest stage of all with major leaguers for the WBC too. So, I mean, that was probably ex an experience itself too. You were part of that game that where you said it was probably one of the loudest games you've ever played in USA against the Dominican, right? Yeah, and, and not only was it the loudest game that I've ever been in and the most insane, I've never seen more people run up and down aisles during the game in my life uh, with, like, sound makers and pretty much giving you, like, the, the, the this from, the, from wrestling, everything you can possibly do against the team. That's kind of how it was done. But so now put all of that into the game, the emotions. I'm in my hometown. My family's there, DRUS, going crazy. And then I have to catch the knuckleball, which is the worst, the absolute worst. Like, literally, I'd rather somebody stand at home plate and turn around and karate kick me to the cup 10 times. I'm talking about full Luke Rockhold, like, kick me 
as hard as you can in the cup as opposed to catch this stupid pitch that goes like this the whole way to home plate and you don't know what it's going to do. So I actually, thank goodness, <laughs> caught that game pretty decent. But my anxiety level was through the roof because, I mean, again, I'm representing the U.S. Dominican that day. Was, uh, the man he pitched with the Twins. Uh, like I don't remember his name out of the gate. He pitched out of the Twins. He was like a big uh, slider guy. And then and oh. then Fernando Rodney and all those guys came in. But um, I remember getting a hit, so I thought that was pretty cool. But but also too honestly. That year for me was crazy in the sense of making that WBC because going to the, the clubhouse, that's when I that's where I kind of knew that I was different. And I wish now that I look back in the sense of having that confidence to feel like you believe, but I never that, that you belong there. I didn't feel like I belonged there. I, I thought I was a good player, but I never I walked into that clubhouse and I never truly felt like I belong there and when I was around those guys and that's what I think separates like the best from good players is they belong they knew they belonged but I I just thought like man I'm a a token I'm the third catcher because we had um, Joe Maurer and Jonathan Lucroy and I just was like man maybe I was the one guy that would say yes to come and play this that wasn't going to play a ton so it was kind of that, you know, you look back and I'm like, man, that's that's where I wish I would have had a different mindset because I think that I truly walked in there and I walked into the Blue Jays clubhouse and I was one guy and I felt confident because I was a catcher and this is I was like, this is my staff. And when I walked in that clubhouse, I was like, David Wright, Jimmy Rollins, Joe Maurer, Adam Jones, all these guys. And I'm like, why? And then I they gave R.A. Dickey to catch. Assholes. Probably, honestly, if you think about it, if you think about it, that's probably the reason why I made. That's probably the reason why I made the team. <laughs> you know what? Because they're. Uh, like- I think I, you know a little bit to what JP's saying. You know, when I walked into the and and I thought I was having a good year in 2011, and and obviously you don't make the first tier of the All Star game because you know certain guys made it and then they can't pitch in it, and then I was like the second or third selection, but a little bit of what he said when I walked into that clubhouse, it was different for me. I, I think I walked in with, I looked around and I was like, all right, I'm, I, I know exactly what he's saying where you're just kind of sitting down, just looking around and you're, and you're looking at, you know, the Beltres, the Canoes, the Canercles, the big poppies. And you're like, Whoa, do I belong here? And then it took me about a good, you know, 10, 15 minutes to, 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 to when I got dressed and I was like, I looked down at my jersey and I was like, all right, I belong here. And I went out and stretched and now those guys are talking to me like, hey, and Justin Verlander was there too, you know, big time pitcher, probably a future Hall of Famer. Um, and and those guys are talking to you like, hey, man, like, hey, you're having a great year, yada, yada, yada. And you just start talking and, and you're just like, all right, I I belong here, you know, and I obviously thought it was it would happen more for me, and and um, that's why that one time I I forever cherish it. Obviously, it didn't happen again, but those are the moments where I think, um, you know, and like JP said, it, it some of those guys it, it, like they just know every year they're going to be there. You know, Big Poppy knew he was going to be there every year. Um, Adrian Beltre knew he was going to be there every year, and and it's what separates you know certain guys, and 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 it's not an easy thing to do. But those guys are so confident, and, and they make it look so easy. You know, thirty home runs year in, year out, and sometimes when they talk to you, they expect you to like have a quick grasp at it. But it's like, 
that's why you guys are part of that tier that's just yeah. very, very rare. Future Hall of Famers that you guys were playing with. And thanks everybody joining us on YouTube Live right now. It's the first time we're doing the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast on YouTube. Beth Duran, Ricky Romero, and JP Arancibia, uh, former major league catcher with the Blue Jays. So if you guys have any questions right now, we're going to open it up. If you're watching on YouTube, if you have questions, feel free. I can see them, and then we'll jump them out there right now. JP, we like to do something right now where we go and ask guys about some of their favorite stories here on the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast. Real quick, quick answers here. We're going to shoot them at you. The best brawl you've been involved with or saw? I never was in the. I was never a part of any brawls. So, I, I'm, really, the, we didn't have other other than other than we had the duck conversation the other day with this guy Louis Perez in the opening day. It was like 15 degrees outside in Cleveland, and he threw a ball over Sinsu Chu's head by mistake. This guy has no, literally, wants no part of anybody. He's like the nicest guy in the world. And I'm like, I go to the backstop, and all of a sudden, Sinshu's is going after. He's like walking towards the mound, and then all the bullpens are are coming out. I'm like, are we really about to do this on opening day? It's, so I ran over to Sinshu, and I was like, hey, listen, let's be honest. The ball hit out the backstop, and I got it, and I'm still in front of you. Like, if you wanted to fight, you would have ran. So can we please just not do this anymore and just get back? So because this it's cold outside. Right? It was, like, it was like the fifteenth inning too, or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an extra innings, dude. We're clearing benches on opening day. I'm like, please, can we just either throw the punches, run out there, which you don't want to do, or let's just keep on playing so we can get this. What about, what about the minor leagues, Jay? You were never involved in the brawl in the minor leagues. No, no, no fights, no fights. I never, I never yeah. was, uh, I never got into, into any, uh, fights, which is kind of weird because you would figure, uh, that I would have been in. I will say this though. JP like, was always, if someone was like staring at the pitcher, he was always in front of home plate facing the hitter. He, he'd always make sure like, you know, sometimes if there's a pass bar or something, oh, yeah. the catcher's worried about going and getting it really quick. Nah, he, if he saw something that was like, Stranger anything from he was he pop up right up and just make sure like all right like I'm gonna walk you halfway to first base almost you know and and just make sure you don't charge my guy. Make yeah, sure of that. I didn't mess around with that stuff. I took care. I I made sure like I hated guys too that you throw in and they'd like look and I'd be like, what the f is you? What's your issue? Well, you. I told I've told many guys in the in the box like, listen, you're not trying to do crap because if you wanted to do anything you would have already gone. So stop wasting my time and everybody else's time and go to first base because you're sitting here and you're just talking crap. So go. <laughs> then that was like, that I, that I just tell guys all the time, man, like, what, what's your, what do you, stop screaming. Like, this is not a, just get over it. Just get to first base. You're not going to fight anybody. <laughs> uh, J- what? JP. I mean, and you've talked about this moment for so many, like so many times, your debut in Toronto. I mean, take us a little bit of that day. Obviously, the emotions are high. You're making your debut. You're coming in as a highly touted, uh, um, I was going to say highly touted freshman, <laughs> highly touted prospect. And, you know, you've destroyed Las Vegas. And I, I believe you won the MVP and you missed the last month of the Pacific Coast League, correct? That's right. And and you come in and and you absolutely your debut having your mom there. I mean, I still remember that, and I still get chills over that moment when the game was finally over and they bring her down and you get to hug her. I mean, 
emotional for for you for you for her i mean it was like the pinnacle of it all you're just like man like mom look we did it even if your career ended that day it was like i did it i hit a home run i got to round the bases in a big league stadium i mean take us a little bit i mean if you want to get deep into that i mean what what was it like well, honestly, that that moment though, when I hugged my mom was when I really that's when I came, became emotional, like overwhelmed with emotion. Because I think as a kid, you just dream about playing in the big leagues your entire life, and you have your family that's there, like constantly with you, constantly with you, constantly with you, and it almost it becomes a dream for everybody, right? I mean, I'm you know this, your family, your mom, your dad, your uncles, your your aunts, your cousins, everybody is kind of invested, so you you it's not like we had a lot of athletes in my family so you know all of a sudden i get called up to the big leagues and it's like oh crap like this is this is legit like i'm i'm getting to the big leagues and so that was when i hugged my mom i think that was everything coming together of like mom you made it i made it we are here this is reality and then that's when i really started like bawling crying i i, I didn't is that what you told her or do you I remember know, what you told her or no? I remember just saying, I just, I just remember saying to her, I love you. I love you. We made it. Like, that was like one thing. I just get chills saying that. But that was like one thing was, was big to me. Um, and then praying before the game, I, cause my grandmother had passed away way before I got to big leagues, but she had always told me like, you're going to be a big leader. You're going to be a big leader. And so when I, when the national anthem was going on, I was like, pouring down my eyes because I was like praying and like wishing that my grandmother was there to see it. So that was another like emotional part. But other than that, the the cool part was obviously I get to Toronto and you and Casey Jansen take me to dinner at a big, at a show. You guys take me to show dinner. So I get to go my first, my first, I get off the plane. I'm freaking Thursday off day. I'm fired up and we go to, steakhouse of jacob so that was that was sick now now was my first big league meal you know i'm already like i'm man i'm sexy i'm having a nice steak <laughs> some wine with the boys before i even step field this big league this is the life is sick and so then that day the i didn't play friday and then on saturday i made my debut which i couldn't sleep obviously the night before you got all these different emotions going on and then that day comes and it's a day game. And I'm kind of thankful that it was a day game because it happens quick. Like you don't have time to think about the entire day. Like you don't have BP. It's just a show and go. Like it was, I didn't have, you know, the Vladdy that he had that whole day and people following him and batting practice and all that stuff. I just had, yeah. we're getting ready, like show and go. So was starting pitcher that day? I forget. I remember. Huh? Who was the starting pitcher that day? I forget. Brad, Brad Mills. Brad Mills, wow. Brad Mills, which was also helpful to me because I had caught him in AAA, so it made me more comfortable, right? Like, I had a lot of little things that made it easier for me that first day uh, in the big leagues. And then and then when I – I was nervous about catching the first pitch. I didn't – hitting, I was obviously in a really good uh, place because that year I was, I was doing really well. But defensively, I was like, man, I need to make sure I, I catch this first pitch. Like, don't drop this first pitch. Like, that was the stupidest – you know how like the little there's like the little guy on your shoulder that just says like stupid stuff to you that you're like, why did that even pop in my head? Legitimately, the first all I could think of was like, don't drop the first pitch. Don't drop the first pitch. Don't drop the first pitch. And I catch the first pitch my entire life. Just like throw it back. And this one was like I, my heart's coming through my chest and I caught it. 
and then I kind of relaxed. And then when I got to my first at bat, I remember Edwin Encarnacion hit that double in front of me. So there's nobody out, man, on second base. And I'm like, just these people think James Shields thinks that I'm just, I'm a ninth hitter. I'm going to try to move this guy over. No shot in hell. Am I just trying to move this guy over? I'm, so that's what made me more comfortable because I was like, what he's going to try to do is throw the pitch in, keep me away from moving the guy over. And so I looked, fastball in, and then all of a sudden hit that ball, and I was like, no freaking way did I just hit that because I knew I hit it out, and then, huh? You get the bag, let's uh, swing it, let's go. <laughs> well, I was going to say, though, Beto, a little bit to what JP's saying there. Ain't hey, it crazy, man, though, like the that. way that – you know, what separates sometimes big leaguers from, like, the level that, that you reach. Like, he's saying there, this guy is thinking that I'm going to try and move the runner over. I'm thinking, hell no. I'm going to look fastball in, guess is right, bam, home run, first at bat. And it's just the level of thinking that goes into, into like, knowing what the pitcher is trying to do against you in certain situations for the younger kids that are listening to us. It's just knowing the game and understanding it, like, Debut, there's so much going on, but yet he has a plan and he knew exactly what he wanted to do that day. And that at bat. And you know what's funny? And you know what's funny too is that that at bat. So I get to the big leagues and people were so we're so dumb in the things that we do. So I was like, man, Jose Bautista's having a huge year this year. I was like, hey, can I use one of your bats today? And he's like, Yeah, sure. And then Vernon Wells, I was like, hey, can I use one pair your batting gloves? So if you see my picture of my major league debut, my batting gloves have a 10 on my hand because I used oh, Vernon's batting gloves and Jose Bautista's bat. And so that was like, I was like, these are two freaking studs. I was like, let me, let me use it. And that was, and so that's, I was using Jose's bat and, and uh, Vernon's batting gloves. That's cool. That's real cool. You barner like you're like playing at the park in Miami right there. Hey, let me borrow your helmet. Let me borrow your bat. Let me borrow your gloves. Yes, actually, I just saw a picture again. As I got a lot of little pictures from when I was a kid, they had a picture of me. I had ankle socks, my pants that were higher than my ankle socks. You can see my skin and no belt. And I was like, who the heck (laughs) let me play a game like this? This is ridiculous. Who the heck allowed this? Hey, when you're a stud, you're a stud. JP, uh, as we start wrapping it up, um, what's it called? What would be the best advice you would give to 18-year-old JP or Ancibia? Right out of Westminster High, Ooh. the same high school as Abrod. Best advice for him? Honestly, it's easy for me to, to tell what I would tell a kid is. Oh, tell yourself. You invest... No, tell yourself. What would you tell JP? Okay, so what I, I would tell you, say the same thing. So what I would tell myself is, as much as you invest yourself in the batting cage, as much as you, as much as you invest yourself on the defensive side, as much as you invest yourself in the batter's box, invest yourself in your mind. Invest yourself in your brain. Invest yourself in the knowledge, work, Learn how to be able to handle failure. Learn how to be able to handle bad thoughts. Learn how to be able to handle because what cut my career short was the was the battle within my ears. Because I didn't lose any. I didn't. I, I was better. I actually got stronger. I I was more experienced. I didn't lose any athleticism. I didn't. 
I, I'm probably in better shape now than when I played. But what happened was is I never really took into consideration how powerful our brain and our mind is over just our talent. And then you start to now you finish your career and you look back and you see the guys that were not as talented, but they had the the wherewithal with it between their ears. And that's and then the guys that are super talented and have the wherewithal within their in their ears, between their ears, that's what makes them special. And I think that's that's something that I didn't really value because you know, oh don't worry, I can handle it, tough it up, suck it up, all these different things. And I think it, I'd, I'd, I would tell myself, be vulnerable enough to go, hey, you need to learn all this stuff. You're not Mr. Macho. You're not Mr. All this stuff. You need to be able to learn how to fall down and get back up. Because for a long time as kids, we don't really ever fall down. We, we're good players. We just keep on going. And so I didn't fall down until I was in the big leagues and I had 50,000 people booing me. And I had a hundred thousand people on Twitter telling me how much I sucked and all these different things. And it, it tore me down to the, to the point where I didn't even want to drive to the stadium anymore to play. So that's, that's where I would have said invest in what's within here because I mean, look, he passed away, obviously the Mamba mentality, all that stuff. I understand that now. I understand that now that I'm not playing, but I didn't, really understand it before my career or even into my career. I, I, I just didn't understand how much of a difference that made in being good, great, or playing six seasons or 12 seasons. It, it, and I, I can say a little bit to that. I mean, the great Roy Halladay, one of the greatest pitchers in our lifetime, Hall of Famer. Um, he was one guy that told me too, I mean, do you, just because you you go into that part of the game, which is mentally, doesn't mean you're mentally weak. And I think that's the stigma that it's carried for such a long time. Oh, he's seeing sports psychologists. He must be mentally weak. And it's not. It doesn't mean that. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's obviously a great tool. As JP said, you know, there's a different feeling about walking into a stadium, getting booed by, you know, 40,000, whether it's your own fans or you're on the road. It's just, it's different. And, and you got to be able to learn how to how to calm yourself down and 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 be able to stay within yourself. Uh, you know, JP and I learned from the great late Ken Revisa too, and and he was you know one of the best at doing that. And and I mean, he 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 literally taught me how to slow everything down and how to take a deep breath and be present in the moment. And uh, you know, it's not an easy thing. It, it, you know. The, 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 the mind game, you know, it, it plays a lot of games with you and, and it did for me too, you know, and, you know, from injuries to, you know, mentally not being able to do the things you were once able to do. It's, 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 it's definitely a helpful tool once you get into it and you're able to, to, uh, to find somebody that you feel comfortable learning that stuff from. And what, well, sorry to add to that real quick is like fear sucks. And we and and that's one thing when you start to get the fear of failure, and you start the ego plays such tricks on your mind in a sense. That's where it kind of all falls apart because you're you're anxious about what could possibly happen, and most of the time you're thinking about obviously if you have anxiety and an anxiousness, it's fear of of not doing well. And so, to me, 
that's the thing is I, like I tell people and is like, want to fail, like do take the risks and fail because that's how you learn instead of being in your comfort zone, like be okay with failure. I wasn't okay with failure because it was a shot to my ego. And then I would walk around Toronto and be like, Oh, this fan's looking at me differently or all oh, this person when a lot of it was, didn't matter, but like, who cares? Like you get knocked up, knocked, knocked down, like get back up and, and, and accept that that's how you continue to get better. And I just, and that was something that I never really took into consideration. And I think Ricky could attest to this is like the best players that I've played with those guys have a tough day and it's like, all right, I'm back at it tomorrow. Where if I had a tough day, I'd go home, like think about it, what was going on, instead of like, all right, I took it on the chin. I'm going to get back up and and keep on going. And I'm going to get better because of today, me taking it on the chin. So that's what I would say is like, go towards failure, like push. That's how we grow muscle. That's how airplanes take off. They go into the wind. Like that's how a lot of great things happen. So push for that. That's pretty cool. Great advice from both of you guys. And, you know, the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast, the first time that we've done a video one, first time we've had a guest like you in three different locations. It's pretty cool the way that you guys opened up about this. And JP, we're going to have you back on uh, real soon. We because have to, we because it's, I feel like it's there's so much more that we can add to there, it. There it's it's so crazy, much more, man. Like, the, there's... Ricky, like I was telling you, we took a long off season with the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast and the group chat. You guys love to rip me saying that I wasn't doing any work. Well, I was negotiating, trying to find the best producer director out there. Oh, no, I got you, JP, though. It's uh, our man, <laughs> John McKelvey, uh, producer extraordinaire, Indians fan, was able to figure out some things, able to incorporate things. Who is that man right there? The batting gloves? <laughs> Vernon Wells batting gloves and that bat right there is Jose Bautista's sand bat. The sand bat. <laughs> so great job by uh, our man John McKelvey, producer, director, an Indians fan who still hates you for that opening day a few years ago where you ended it in the 16th inning uh, because of that home run by you, JP. But we were able to incorporate the video, able to incorporate the stuff, so we get things going. So we're going to continue to evolve. We'll have you back on, JP. Don't worry. We got plenty more stories. I want to yeah, hear about no, we, racing cars. We have to. We have to because today was a little bit of a, you know, obviously this is the first time doing it like this for you guys doing it live, but I think I think we have to get into like some of the some of the nitty gritty because there's a lot of of uh, good stories. Uh, oh yeah. That'll that'll make that'll make me being drunk till five o'clock kind of look like a small. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no problem. And, and if you want to talk about CB Buckner and Angel Hernandez, we'll get into those guys too. No problem. Yeah, let's do it. Let's definitely oh, yeah. have a part two with JP. I mean, like I said, he's a he's a, he's a character. We got to do the Tim Kirk. He's got to do the Tim Kirkshin. I mean, there's so much stuff we we didn't even get into. And obviously, the, I, I knew the the hour plus that we were gonna have with him was gonna fly by. Okay. But Wait, uh, real quick, yeah, real I mean, quick, JP, uh, do a promo for the next time you're coming up on the show as Tim Kirkshin. Oh geez, that's that's how to, that's really throwing me into the heat right no, there. Here, okay, Tim Kirchin is gonna do the promo. Hey guys, thanks for watching the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast. Coming up next week, part two with JPR and Sevia. You guys want to tune in? It's gonna be great. I've talked to like seven different cousins. Ricky has like thirty. JP has like forty-five. You know those Hispanics? They like to do it, and we will have them on, and they will really give you everything. So just come back on and check it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that-
Thank you, Tim Crimson. So thank you, Ricky Romero. As always, thank everybody watching us on YouTube. JP, RNC, we'll have you back for part two. Tim Kirchin, thanks for stopping by, too. For Ricky Romero and everybody at Pro Angle Productions, I'm Beth Durant. Thanks for listening to Let's Go, Ricky Romero Podcast. Let's go, Ricky Romero. Let's go. <laughs>